All right, good morning. Great to see you guys here. Um, before we jump into the touchy subjects, week four, our last week on this, I just want to say about uh, tonight that I'm really excited about our night of worship. We have never had a facility where we could do a, a Sunday night event like this, and so this is our first ever attempt on a Sunday night thing. We don't have any small groups going on on a fifth Sunday. So if you don't show up, we may not do this again. Uh, so we're really excited. I'm really nervous also about like who's going to come or not. Uh, but I do want you to know we're going to take communion tonight, which is going to be special. We're going to take extra time to just worship our Lord together. And we're also going to ordain two of our staff guys, Jeff Brookshire and Steve Autry. So uh, come out and support them tonight. I'm really excited about all that God has planned for that. Now listen, uh, as we talk about touchy subjects, what uh, the last topic we wanted to address was the issue of racial relationships racial relationships. And uh, if we were living in Ferguson, Missouri, Charlotte, North Carolina, Dallas, Texas, or uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where the, the shootings of suspects and shootings of police have brought national attention, this would be literally a daily thought. This would be a daily conversation. This would be a daily struggle. Is how, as a nation, are we going to deal with this issue? The reactions on both sides have been uh, black lives matter and blue lives matter and all lives matter. And I think we can all agree that this issue has the potential to tear us in, in a community apart, in a church apart, and even as a nation it can tear us apart. And, and while I think it's wise to look at it as a political issue, it's not just a political issue. I think it goes far deeper than that. And the roots of this issue are really a theological issue. And so this morning we're going to look at it as such. What, what, how as followers and believers in Jesus Christ do we respond to these issues? And if we're going to be honest, let's just talk about historically where the church has been. We have a very bumpy record as in the church of Jesus Christ over 2,000 years. Sometimes, occasionally, the church, let's just be honest, in the South, we need to own up to this. The church has gotten this wrong before. Is that true? We've gotten it wrong. I can also say with a clear conscience that most times, the church of Jesus Christ has led the way in championing equality among gender and race and even other religions. And so this morning, we need to wrestle with these truths uh, like every generation does. And not try to justify bigotry or hate using the scriptures, but find a new path through Jesus Christ. So let's just jump right in this morning. And the first question I want to ask, and by the way, I feel really naked. I don't have my whiteboard behind me this week. It's awful. So to comfort myself, I brought a laser pointer. Oh, yeah, you can see. That's good. If you fall asleep, you're getting lasered, okay? That's all I'm going to tell you. You've been warned. Okay, our question this morning is, does God favor one race over another? And the answer is clearly yes, he does. And it's the Jews. The Jews, the Israelites are God is the one nation and the one people that have a a blessing on them as a nation and as a race. Not Americans, not white people, not Aryans like Hitler thought. The Israelites, the people of God were this chosen people. There's, this is throughout Scripture, but I would just want to read Romans chapter 9 for you and listen to this. God inspires Paul to write, There, speaking of the Jews, theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, 
the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Look at all that God's given them. Theirs is the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. Jesus was going to come through them. Who is God over all forever praised? Amen. See, when it comes theologically or to Scripture, there is only one divine distinction in in any form or fashion when it comes to race, and that is Jews and that is Gentiles. That's the nation of Israel and the rest of us, and that is it. That is it. And now to illustrate just kind of how pronounced this is, I got a few pictures from Israel that we we got to go to Israel in March, and I want to show you just to illustrate how pronounced this is. If you'll show the first picture, Beth, hopefully... Maybe. No pictures? My laser pointer. I'm heartbroken. Okay. All right. Compose myself. All right, so here's the deal. (laughs) So there's this awesome picture. (laughs) Close your eyes. Envision this. This massive wall. 40 feet tall, and there's these little Jewish guys with hats on and, and beards and long hair, and they're praying at the wailing wall, the west wall of the, of the Temple Mount. And it's a sacred place because this is where, on top of this enormous structure in Jerusalem, where God uh, had the temple, His holy temple built. And then there was another picture of the west, coming in from the west, and there was these stairs that went up to the Temple Mount. It's this huge uh, stairway that most of it's been destroyed, but you can still kind of see it. And when you, there's songs of ascent and they say, let's go up to the temple and let's go up to worship our God, it's because they had to ascend these, this enormous staircase to get up onto this Temple Mount that is ginormous, isn't it, Gabe? It's huge. And uh, just and so you're walking on this massive platform. It's It's dozens and dozens of football fields big, okay? And the third picture was this uh, this little wall about yay high up there on the Temple Mount. And there was a, a picture in this picture. There's a group of, of Muslims that are studying the, the Quran together. And uh, right next to that wall. And the wall is a reconstruction of this barrier that the Jews had co- constructed way back in the day. And it was uh, what outlined the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles. Now that doesn't mean a lot to you. But it's very significant. See, God never intended, when, when the Jews decided that they were going to build their temple and have their uh, structure, they built this wall. God never commanded it, but he said, they said, we're going to allow the, Jew, the, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, up on the temple mount, but they have to stop at this wall. Hey, that's the southern slopes. Thank you. Awesome. See the stairs? That's the only one? Okay. 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 Um, this this wall this de- oh yeah wow I'd have been kicking myself see this see this they're going up to the Temple Mount and this is the uh, where'd I go okay up here is just a massive it goes on and on that way that's actually the Mount of Olives is over here that's the um, valley between them but up there is a is a is a Muslim. Uh, Mosque, and then there's also the Dome of the Rock up there further on where the, the Jews used to have their temple. And, uh, but this dividing wall was not commanded by God. 
And yet the Jews decided they were going to wall out the Gentiles and not allow them too close to the temple, not allow them too close to the presence of God. There's going to be a them over there and a us over here mentality. But I want you to listen to Ephesians 2.14. It says this, For he himself, talking about Jesus Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups What's your, what's your scripture say? Can we go back to the passage? Uh, make the two groups one, and it has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What Paul is writing on the inspiration of God is Jesus Christ came not just to reconcile men back to God, but to reconcile men back to one another. And he came and he destroyed that dividing wall. There is no longer Jew and Greek and Gentile. There is one. And there is one family of God. There is one race of people. There is one under God. He destroyed. And the Jews had taken this idea too far of of, of pushing the Gentiles out and causing division. And Jesus came to destroy that. Guys, if we're going to be completely honest, we have to say there's something in us that does the exact same thing. There's something in us that likes to alienate others from us, that likes to label and categorize people, that I'm over here and they're over there, that we are here and they're over there. Are you right? Am I right or am I lying? We're right, right? You do it with football, don't you? It stings, don't it? (laughs) We do it with trucks. I'm a Chevy man. I'm a Ford guy. You won't caught dead in in a Dodge truck. Right? I mean, that is like, you don't touch that one right there. Can I tell you it's in me also? This is in me too. I was in a hurry on Boone Road. Sorry, Philip, he lives there. I was in a hurry on Boone Road and I might have been speeding. Maybe. Let's just say, hypothetically, I was going too fast. And as I'm going down Boone Road, the man who's walking out to his mailbox gives me the universal sign for slow down. Right? He's giving me one of those. And he is smooth on top and a big old beard. And I say out loud to myself in my car, what is that Amish guy? (laughs) Who does he think he is to tell me to slow down? And just like that, in a moment, my heart was revealed that I do the same thing that you're probably you do too, is I love putting people in categories and putting them labels on them and saying, that's them over there and this is me over here. Now, let's talk about where the church has landed. The church has done the same thing. And if you find on YouTube or if you look hard enough on TV, you might even find some Christians today that are teaching something that is that, that says that God has favoritism on a certain race or he's cursed another race. And it's funny to me that when they do that, they, it's a surprise. They never say that it's them that's under a curse. Go figure, right? Uh, so I want to just, if you'll bear with me for a second, there's all kinds of different theories and ideas and conversations that have, people have had that have tried to use the scripture to explain that it's okay to be a racist or have bigotry in your heart. 
Uh, I'm going to give you one example, okay? There's some false teaching uh, when it comes to the curse of Noah after the flood. I don't know if any of you have heard this, but um, after the flood, Noah's three sons, so it was Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, there's eight of them on the planet. And after the flood, uh, Noah has a really bad moment. I don't know if you know this story. And uh, Noah's, um, (laughs) I don't know if he's celebrating or what's happening, but he has too much to drink. And Noah gets drunk. And for some reason, when Noah gets drunk, he got naked. This is a really bad scene, right? You're going to like, Genesis chapter 9, I'm reading that. Uh, It's this really awkward moment, guys. And what happens is one of his sons, Ham, comes in his tent, his dwelling, whatever, and notices dad passed out drunk naked on the floor. And Ham goes and gets his brothers to make a joke out of it. I guess he's just being a ham. Yeah, that's Holy Spirit right there. Just gave me that one. He goes and gets his brothers and says, come check this out. And they have the decency to walk in backwards and cover up dad. Yeah. When dad comes to his senses, he decides to curse one of Ham's children. And it's really important to know which child he, he curses. So Ham has four sons. According to scholars, the descendants of Cush settle in Ethiopia. His son Mizraim settles in um, Egypt. And according to scholars, his third son Put settles in Lib- uh, Libya. These are the forefathers of the African nations. Noah doesn't curse those guys. He curses the fourth son, Canaan. In fact, I want you to read this with me in Genesis 9.25. Noah says, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. Okay, so there's a curse upon this nation. Now you say, well, if it wasn't the Ethiopian tribes, then who were these people, the people of Canaan? Genesis chapter 10 answers that. It says, Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Avarites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. I worked all week on that. How did I do? And this says, later the Canaanite clan scattered and the border. You have this picture? And the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon down to Gerar as far as Gaza. You heard of the Gaza Strip? And then towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Amah and Zebium, and as far as Lasha. Do we have that picture? No, okay. So, man, there's a laser pointer moment. It's going to be awesome. Basically what he's describing is the, is the whole entire region of Canaan or the promised land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. And he said, listen, you're going to take possession of this land. And God had cursed Canaan, the people that were now dwelling in that land, that when Israelite, the Israelites moved in, that they were going to push these people out because the curse was upon them. And it's important to note, it wasn't on the other sons. And the people that God cursed, he's already brought judgment upon them. You're not going to meet someone and say, oh, that's an interesting last name. What's the origin of that? And they say, oh, I'm a Hivite. That's not going to happen. They're not going to say, oh, I'm from Girgashite uh, descent. That's not happening because God wiped them out. Does that make sense, guys? 
There's other people that would say, look, the New Testament describes uh, how a slave and a slave owner should interact with each other. And because the Bible describes that God is condoning that kind of behavior and therefore God can allow us to do those things and, and think those ways and act those ways. Guys, that is so false. Just because the Bible describes something like Noah's nakedness and drunkenness, it does not mean it condones it, does it? And just because it describes that slavery was a reality in Christ's day and in Paul's day, it does not mean it was acceptable morally. It does not. In fact, you've got to understand something. The overwhelming message of Scripture teaches that every single person has great value and to be treated with dignity because we are all made in the image of our great God. We are all made in the image of God. And you got to understand, when, when that kind of idea is being pushed out through, through Christianity, that is a radical message for Rome in the first century A.D. See, the Romans believed they were superior to everyone else, and Roman citizenship was exclusively for those who were Roman-born uh, or paid for their, their citizenship. It was excluded. Women were excluded. Children were excluded. And foreigners were excluded. And yet Christ comes on the scene and he, and he um, inspires the Apostle Paul to write things like this in Galatians 3. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all, what's the word? One in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Wow. It's as if God is just saying this. Listen, I am making one spiritual people in Christ. I'm taking people of different backgrounds and different race. And now I'm not, I'm creating one new family. And it doesn't mean you're, um, there's no longer Asian or Hispanic or European or African or anything else. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. I'm tearing down the dividing line of hostility. And you are no longer identified by race, but by faith. And you are now granted into the family of God as God's chosen and special people, just like the Jews. Is that not amazing? That God would say, now you... And you and you and I are now his chosen and special people through Christ, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, because God has created us all in his image. And because Jesus has destroyed this dividing wall of hostility, there can be no doubt, guys, that there is no color. There's no color that God doesn't love. There is no color that God doesn't love. And just in case you're fuzzy on that, God, uh, Jesus told a story. Uh, it's called the Good Samaritan. It's from Luke chapter 10. And the Jews who were having a real problem with this idea of race, and, and uh, Jesus had said, you need to love your neighbor. And so the Jews worked up the courage to ask Jesus, say, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells them the story. And the story goes like this. There was once a Jewish guy traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which, by the way, is a mountainous path with a very narrow path, and it bends, and you can't see very far in front of you. And so when you round the corner like this guy did, you get jumped by robbers. This man was jumped by robbers, robbed, and left for dead after they had beaten him. And the story goes on to say, 
that a Jewish priest walks by this beaten man and passes by as far away, as close to the edge of the cliff as he can get, so he stays away from the unclean, busted up man and passes by. Does not help. And then a Levite who worked in the temple day after day, he didn't want to get unclean. And so when he comes by this busted up, broken man, he passes by on the other side. And then a third man comes, but this man isn't Jewish. He's not a priest. He's not a Levite. He's a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan was a dirty word to a Jew back then because a Samaritan was a Jewish person who had sold out. A Jew by descent had then intermingled and intermarried with other Gentile people. And they had uh, basically sold out from their tradition and sold out from their religion. And they had intermarried uh, with people that God had told them not to marry. So the Jews looked down and hated the Samaritans. And yet when this Samaritan man turns that corner and sees a beaten man, a Jew... Who would have despised him? He takes him. He takes him down and bandages his wounds and takes him all the way to Jericho and he gives him a place to stay and he pays for everything so this man can completely be healed and restored. And so Jesus says, you wanted to know who your neighbor was? Let me tell you. It's anybody that needs your help. And it's anybody your life crosses paths with. That is your neighbor because they are all my children and they all belong to me. And you are commanded to love your neighbor like I've loved you. That means anyone, regardless of economic position or political thought or national ties or racial differences, are all our neighbors. And as Christ followers, guys, we honor God. When we value people, just in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., like he said, when we value others not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That is what we're called to be as followers of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this way. This is another way to look at it. Why would we ever assume that we would treat people or judge people differently based on the amount of melanin in their skin? You know, that's the only difference between us. The amount of a chemical named melanin that is in our skin. That's the only difference. And yet we decide that's how we're going to categorize or label people. Would we do that with eye color? I I don't know about you, man. You got brown eyes, but green. I like green eyes. Oh, I don't know about that. But what do we start? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick people based on eye color. Or how about this? Let's, let's, let's categorize and hang out with people based on our ear size. All right? And we'll just check out. Okay, you're good. You're not so good. And I'll just do that. Or, let's say you're just at a party and you're really connecting with somebody and think, man, I could be friends with them, but, but you kind of do something different. You say, hey, I need you to lift up your shirt a little bit and let me look at your belly button. Because I only hang out with innies, not outies. So, you know. That's a deal breaker for me. We wouldn't do that. Let's go back to our truck analogy and say, man, I'm a Ford guy and I like Ford trucks. Give me an F-150, baby. But I hate them blue ones. I can't stand to be around a blue truck. We wouldn't do that, guys. It sounds ridiculous when we think of it in those terms. God inspired Paul also writing in Colossians 3. It says this. Here, 
here in the family of God, in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ and in the family of God, here in this place, there is no Gentile or Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Because Jesus Christ died and equally died for your sins and my sins and their sins and everyone's sin, God has placed equal value uh, from the eyes of God on all mankind because he was willing to die for all of us. See, here's what I believe. The cross is the great equalizer. It is the path to equality in our nation and in our communities and even in our hearts. The cross of Jesus Christ, that he was willing to die on a cross for every man's sin, that is the great equalizer because we all come to him broken and needing forgiveness. We all come to him uh, longing for a relationship with God. And through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has been made possible. And when I speak about equality, guys, listen, I'm not just talking about equal rights or equal pay or equal opportunity, although those things are important. Really, to be equal in our hearts. To be equal in our hearts is what God is after. And I believe only the grace of Jesus Christ can unify us in such a way in our hearts where there's just no longer this thing where it's me and them or us and them or I'm this category and they're that category. The only thing that can destroy that dividing line and that line of wall of hostility is the grace of Jesus Christ to know that each one of us are of equal value in the eyes of our loving God. Now, I got to say, if you were wronged by someone of a different race or a different color, and you view it as someone of another race or another color, and you project that behavior or that moment or that sin onto a race or group of people, you've got it all wrong. Because a race or a color did not harm you, a person did. A person did. And if you grew up being taught that you were somehow different or better than another race, then you were taught wrong. And that's grounded in human tradition and not in the law and the love of God. Let me share one more scripture with you. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Listen to this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What he's saying is because Jesus Christ died, it radically changes how we should live. If we receive the mercy and grace of God, it should radically change everything about our lives. It should change how we view people and how we treat people. If we're harboring bigotry, racism, or hatred, those are worldly point of views. And it is not God's point of view. It is not God's way. Because we said before, he loves us all the same. And if you were taught those things or had that experience, I know how powerful that can be. But really when it boils down to it, it's not what God, what those things say about a matter. It's what God says is true about a matter that really ultimately counts. Guys, if you're struggling with race or color, if this is an issue in your heart 
It's not a political problem. It's a love problem. It's a love problem. Because if you fully understand the love and grace of Jesus Christ and know how desperate and depleted you were when you made that faithful choice to receive His forgiveness and His mercy, you would know how much He's loved you and how much He's forgave you. Despite your rebellion and despite your flaws and despite your continued uh, misdirection, And if the grace of God was willing to cover all those things, then the grace of God can cover all sin, even the sin done to you by somebody else. So where do we go from here, guys? What what does God call us to do as a follower of Jesus Christ or as the church of Jesus Christ? I know something hasn't happened in Jefferson, Georgia or Atlanta, Georgia that would spark a massive outcry, but it could happen today. And how do we, as as the church of Christ, respond? How do we proactively respond that God would get glory in how we view race in our lives and in our hearts? Can I just say, if you've had it wrong, if God's working on you to shift your thinking in this and to lay aside some some tradition or lay aside some some even some hatred from your heart, here's the first thing. It starts with Repentance. It starts with admitting that you've been wrong and that God is right about this. That there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no black and white. There is no Hispanic or Asian. That we are all one. And it starts with repentance. Asking God to forgive your bad attitudes or your actions or the words you may have spoken and and beginning right there, allowing God to start a work new in our hearts. Maybe that's where you are today. You can ask God to do those things. Say, God, I'm ready for a fresh start in the way I view others. Perhaps you've been like a lot of people in this room. You've just been apathetic. This isn't on your radar. This isn't something you think about. And I believe the church of Jesus Christ, if we're going to find healing racially in our country, it's not going to happen politically. It's going to happen because the church of Jesus Christ leads the way that we're a model and example to the rest of the world of what true brotherly love looks like, that we love people. We love people to a fault. We love people when they wrong us. We love people when it's hard. And we love people regardless of their background, regardless of what they wear, regardless of where they're from, because Jesus has so well loved us. We can't help but love each other. See, The Scriptures calls us ministers of reconciliation. Reconciliation means that two people or two parties that were once very far apart have been brought near and reconciled. And and they're not enemies anymore. They're friends. That's what reconciliation means. And as ministers or agents of reconciliation, guess what? We get the privilege given to us by God that we are now ministers of reconciliation, that we get to let people know that God has now reconciled the world to Himself through Jesus Christ. And they no longer have to live in their sins and live in their shame and live in their doubts and live in their fears. They can be delivered from those things and be reconciled to God and have relationship with Him forevermore. Amen. Amen. Wow. We get to proclaim and live that message out day after day after day. But we've not only been reconciled to God. We've been reconciled to our fellow man. 
and as ministers or agents of reconciliation, we get to live out and proclaim a message that there is no dividing wall anymore, that Jesus Christ has tore it down, and I get to love you and you and you and you freely, and I get to cross cultural boundaries and cultural barriers and love people on the other side, and that we can meet in the middle and have oneness. Not us and them, but reconciliation through the cross of Jesus Christ. We're called to that, guys. We're called to go out of our way to be ministers of reconciliation that somebody that doesn't look like me, talk like me, act like me, I am called to go to them and meet them in the middle and love them right where they are. That's what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a minister of reconciliation. God has given you that privilege that we get to go do those things and, 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 and bring the things together that were once far apart. I'm going to ask if we can just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment and respond to this truth. And before we get into being ministers of reconciliation, I'm just aware that there might be someone here this morning that needs to be reconciled to God. That this relationship with God, that, that He's willing to forgive our sins and forgive your sins and for you to have a clean, fresh start with Him, that you are not under condemnation and you're not under sin and you're not under shame because the cross, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ can count for you. Maybe that good news has hurt you for the first time and you never realized God's willing to forgive your sins. He's willing to set you free from shame. He's willing to take a relationship that was once at odds and call you in and call you friend and call you child. If you've never made that faithful choice, see, Jesus has done all the work and all he's waiting for you to do is say, yes, I need that. I need the forgiveness of God. I need to know and have a relationship with Him. If that's your choice this morning, if you feel God and you know God is telling you this is your moment and say yes to a relationship with Him, if you'll simply, if you'll pray with me right now and say, God, I want to be reconciled to you. I don't want to be far off. I want to be brought near. And God, I can't be good enough to do that. And so I'm putting my trust in Jesus. What he did for me on a cross. What he did rising from the dead and conquering death. My, I put my faith in that. Without anyone looking around, if that's your prayer this morning, just slip your hand up. Let God know as an act of faith. I'm choosing reconciliation with God today through Jesus Christ. I see you, brother. Praise God. Anybody else? I thank you, Jesus. Father, if there's somebody that's been wrestling with anger and hate and bigotry in their heart, you're the only person that can heal that. And I pray that those people this morning would come running to you for forgiveness, 
and for a completely different view of life. That they can love their fellow man because of how well they've been loved through you. If that's your prayer this morning, simply tell God, I'm coming clean, God, and I want a new start. Would you change my thinking that I would love every one of my fellow man like you've loved me? And God, for this whole room, God, I I give them the charge that you've given us in Scripture, and I pray they will take the mantle of responsibility to be ambassadors of reconciliation for you. God, that we'd be a people that would go out of our way to love people that look and act and speak differently than us because they're really not that different than us. And if you're willing to take that challenge this morning without looking around, just slip your hand up as an act of faith to God. I want to be an ambassador of reconciliation where I live, where I work, where I play. I'm going to go out of my way to love people that may not even love me. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. God, I'm not worthy of your reconciliation. None of us are. We're so grateful you extended it anyway. We love you, God. Thanks for moving in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.